Welcome to the Grove Community Church Worship Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. Here's this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. Next week, actually six days from now, my son Bennett graduates from the University of Alabama. And I am overjoyed and excited about that for him uh, and for his future. I'm excited about the, the mark it is and transition in his life, but also in the life of Laura and I. Look, I'm not going to lie. It is nice knowing that he is coming off the checkbook. I'm just saying. And if you are a, a, a parent of older kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it, but it is, it's, and that, I'm being silly, but, but it is a, a moment to stop and reflect and rejoice. And so I've been thinking about that. Morgan is a week and a half away from finishing her freshman year of college. It just blows my mind that these kids have grown so fast and so quickly and that here we are. You know? and, then, and then Laura and I this summer are going to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. So there's tons of milestones. So I've been kind of uh, waxing nostalgic uh, lately. And I was thinking about the kids when they were little and just how amazing it was to be the parent of a little kid. I remember the, um, I remember the, the afternoons in the driveway where we would get sidewalk chalk and, and make pictures. Morgan loved to do art, so uh, she would do that and I would sit down with her and, and, and play uh, my littlest pet shop or something like that. Do you remember that? Does anybody, yeah. So I used to play with that like, like nobody's business. I wasn't scared at all, I loved it. And I was thinking about that and I even played Barbie and there's something um, both uh, beautiful and disturbing about the fact that I used to play Barbie with Morgan. But it was a precious, precious moment. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about being outside with Bennett and teaching him how to ride a Razor scooter and then how to ride his bike. I, I think about throwing the baseball with him in the front yard. And, and we built a tree house when he was little and, and how we uh, spent like three months on the weekends, just a couple hours on the weekend, building this massive tree house in our backyard. And it was amazing. And, and, I, and I think about all those beautiful moments that we had, that when Bennett was real little, when he was two years old, he wouldn't get up out of the bed by himself. He would say, sun's up, time to get up. And he would say it real loud so everybody in the house could hear it. And he wouldn't get out of bed until we gave him permission. So then his next phrase was, can I get up? I'm ready to get up. And we would go in there and, and, and get him up. Or, or we would put him down at night and, and just... Uh, pray over them and uh, we would always sing this song uh, uh, with them, this Christian song with them and, and, uh, and, and put them, tuck them in and read to them. It's just beautiful, right? All of those memories, it's just what it means to be a father. It's this special bond and I can't explain it. I, I, I can't put it into words other than my experiences. But as I've been thinking about that, then I quickly remember the other part of being a parent of a young one. I remember the grocery store. <laughs> and if you're not a parent, you don't know this yet, but the grocery store is, was the bane of my existence with the kids. Like that was the only thing that I absolutely never wanted to participate in. Going to the grocery store with kids was you know what on earth. It was horrible, horrible. And our kids were pretty good, but there's something about the grocery store that when those doors open up, 
the kid switches, and it's they want. And if they don't get what they want, they're going to cry, and they're going to fuss, and they're going to constantly ask, Hey, can I have that? Dad, why can't I have that? I really want that. Dad, their cereal has a prize in it. Dad, I really want that cereal. Why can't I get the cereal? I want the cereal! Meltdown mode. Head banging against the cart handle, right? Anybody else experience that with their little ones? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The grocery store is horrible. And when I think about the grocery store and bath time, I'm like, wow, I am so glad my kids are adults now. All too often in our prayer life, though, we act like the child at the grocery store. Let that sink in for a second. All too often in our life, when we approach the God of the universe, we come to him like the toddler in the grocery store. We use a lot of words, and it's nothing but I want, and I need, and I want, and I need. And if we don't get our way, then we kind of become uh, uh, persistent with it to the point of uh, obnoxiousness. Now, I, I'm overstating that. I understand that. But all too often in my prayer life, personally, I look more like the toddler at the grocery store than I do sitting down as an adult with another adult and having a conversation. Today we're going to look at a passage, it's the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, and it's on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples what it means to pray. And in this section, Jesus is actually teaching about spirituality, and he goes through three sections that have equal length, and each one of these sections uh, um, talks about a different, a different aspect of what it means to live out holy. How do we live out our faith? The first one is almsgiving. The second one is prayer, and the last one is fasting. He talks about how all three of these things are an important part of our spirituality and uh, of experiencing God and, and living out this relationship with God. But there's a break. So Matthew has a penchant for creating these perfect segments. He has this, this desire to create this beautiful symmetry in his gospel until he breaks the symmetry, which he does all the time. So he creates this symmetry, then he breaks it. But every time he breaks his symmetry that he's created, he's doing it to emphasize the point that breaks the rest of the symmetry. And in this particular passage, as you may or may not have guessed already, the part that he breaks with in this beautiful symmetry is the Lord's Prayer. So all that he teaches in this section of the Sermon on the Mount about spirituality and how we live out our faith, he stops in the center focal point, this point that he's really driving home, that he breaks the symmetry over and he says, I want you to get this, is the Lord's Prayer. So today we're going to actually look at the four or five verses before the Lord's Prayer as Jesus teaches his disciples about prayer. And then he launches into the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to look at the Lord's Prayer today. We're going to look at these verses before. And in these verses before, he covers two aspects of prayer that people often get wrong. And so we want to look at that. The first one has to do with hypocrisy, and the second one has to do with babbling on. So let's look at that for a second. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8. Matthew 6 Five through eight. So you can turn to your Bible in your Bible there now. You can follow on your smart device if you got that. Or um, if you can read it, you can follow on the screen. All right? And this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, so this is something that Jesus does uh, often, this repetition in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how some people live, but you ought to do this. This is one way of living that the world says is right, but I say to you this. This is my teaching to you. So Jesus says, look, there are hypocrites who their prayer life is all about what they get out of it. It's all about a show. It's all about them looking holy. It's all about the exterior, right? It's how people perceive you. And so he says that there are hypocrites who like to stand in the synagogues and open up their arms. Is how I picture it. They pray, pray out loud. Now, what you need to know in their culture is prayer was often, almost always spoken out loud. So whether you were in your house, whether you were by yourself or with your family, or whether you were out in the synagogue or even out in public, they would pray out loud at the, at the different prayer times during the day. So they would stop and stand and they would just pray out loud. Now, they... They weren't supposed to be obnoxious about it, but what he's saying is that the hypocrites, those who are trying to look holy, are the ones who stand out there and it's all for show. It's all about them looking good and it's all about what they get out of the transaction of prayer. They treat it like a transaction. And so the attitude is, look at me, I'm holy, and look at me, God, I'm holy, so do what I want. But, Jesus says, verse 6, when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this first word that I want to look at today for secret is kryptos, kryptos. You might know or sense that it connects with the word encryption. We encrypt things like uh, uh, software to prevent others from seeing it. To prevent others from being able to get it and, and use it, to save it, and to uh, mishandle it, right? So this word kryptos means private. It means secret. But it carries with it this idea also of internal. And as internal, it means real. The real you. So let's take that back to this verse and look at it again. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is genuine and real and open before you. Who's in secret, but secret here means deep, internal, authentic. So when you go and pray, enter into this relationship of prayer knowing that God is authentic and real and open before you, but he's not going to be showy. And then he says, then he sees you in secret. He sees just how authentic you're going to be. Now think about the difference here. And this is how we know this part of what the word kryptos can mean. This authenticity is what really Matthew's driving at here. Is what Jesus is driving at. Is that the hypocrites do it for show, for the outerness of it. For what other people think and to try to impress God and others. Where when you're really genuine about prayer, what you really do is you, you open yourself up. And you're authentic and you're real in the inward part of who you are. You're like, God, here I am before you. This is me, all of me. Even the, the part of me that I try to hide from everybody else we lay it bare it's authentic and real and deep 
and secret. That's what this word secret means, authentic. So let me ask you, just take a moment to think about it. Are you brave enough to be authentic with God? Are you brave enough? Are you brave enough to tell God sometimes that you're just pissed off at him? Are you brave enough to tell God, man, I blew it and this is my sin and I own it, but I like this sin. What are you going to do about it, God? Are you real enough to, to, to lay yourself that open and honest before God because he's big enough to handle it? If Jesus can say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can we not ask the question why? If it's authentic and real. So this word cryptos here for secret really means authentic, real, genuine, deep, and hidden. So the first part of prayer for us, if we're going to apply this to our life, is that prayer needs to be genuine. It needs to be authentic. It needs to be real. It needs to be the bare bones of who we are because he already knows. We're not fooling him. He's just looking for someone to be honest with him, right? Think about this. Have you ever known someone that every time around them, you're just like, God, that person's, ugh, they're creepy. They're so fake. That's how we treat God. We walk into his presence as if he doesn't already know it. And we sit down and we try to keep it light and stay on the surface and ask for what we want. And we do it to impress him or to impress others. And what he really, we, we walk away from that transaction thinking that we've made this exchange with God and it is transactional. Oh, I prayed, I put my time in and so now I'm going to be more holy or now I'm going to get what I want or whatever. And, and, and he sees through it. And just as you don't like disingenuine people, just as you don't like inauthentic people, just as you don't like those creeps that you, they walk away and you go, God, that person is such a facade. God doesn't like that in your prayer with him. So if that's how you're interacting with God, then you're just being a creeper. <laughs> you just are. You're making his skin crawl, and he doesn't even have skin. No, this word here means authentic. Are you authentic and real in your relationship with God in prayer? That's the first point. Then he comes to the second pair of verses, and he takes a different slant on prayer and encourages us to think about how we're doing this. Verse 7, and when you pray, now again, he's already said don't be like the hypocrites. Now he's emphasizing when you pray, and he's going to make a comparison to someone else. He was talking about the over-religious, put-it-on-fake-show people. Now he's going to talk about someone else. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So the Gentiles here was the word ethnos, or it means other people. It's, it's people outside of Judaism. It's people who have a different faith. And in the common faith of that day, there was a pantheon of gods. There were multiple gods. If you wanted rain, you had to pray to one God. If you needed a big harvest, you had to pray with another God. If you needed fertility for yourself or for your animals, you prayed to yet another God. There was constant prayers. And some of the prayers that they found of people written in this time had this list, long list of names for different gods. And people would just rattle off these names of God just so they covered their bases. 
And then once they covered their bases with all these different names of these different gods, then they would go into just asking and demanding the same thing over and over and over and over again, like the petulant child in the grocery store. Like the kid who doesn't get what he wants and he just over and over again, why can't I have Smackos? I love Smackos. They're the best. Well, because they've got tons of sugar in them. But I love them. I want Smackos. I don't even know what Smackos are. I couldn't think of a cereal. Honey Smacks. There we go. Thanks. Honey Smacks. Uh, Fruity Pebbles. Ugh. Anything that has that kind of color and it can't be good for you. Just think about that. Anyway, that's subject for another day. Do not be like the petulant kid who's in the grocery store who you try to avoid in the cereal aisle. And you know you do it. If you go to the grocery store and you hear that kid begging his mom, you avoid whatever aisle they're, they're on, the cookie aisle or the cereal aisle or the toy aisle or whatever it is. You're like, I'm staying away from that. Don't you think God's kind of the same way? I don't want your petulance. I don't want you trying to schmooze me. I don't want your, um, your, your just saying my name over and over again. Now, the reason why we think that this means the particular aspect of saying the name of God over and over and over again is because of the word here for empty phrases. It is bata legeo. Bata legeo. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what this word means because it only occurs like in three places. Not in scripture, but in documents that they found. And one of them is scripture. In original documents, now there's other documents talking about this particular scripture, but in original text, there's only like a handful of places that this word ever occurs. So we're not real sure what the, what the word means, except... That the root for bata is probably stammer or stutter or saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And when the Gentiles often prayed, when they were praying the name of the gods, it sounded like they were just stammering. And they were just over and over and over again saying the same names and the same thing. It sounded like a stutterer. So most scholars believe this, this means stuttering words. Legeo means words. So stuttering words or stuttering speech. So they're empty phrases because it's just the same thing over and over and over again. They're empty because the only meaning behind them is give me what I want. And so Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be the petulant two-year-old in the cereal aisle. Don't come to me trying to schmooze me. Don't come to me just saying my name over and over and over and over again trying to get my attention. I don't want your list of what you need. I already know what you need. What I want is to have a conversation with you. That's what I want. I want to be able to have a conversation with you. The other word that occurs numerous times in this, in this four verses in this small little section of scripture is the word father. Which is a word they would never use for God. In Jesus's culture it was too common it was too earthy it was too real it was too um, connected but isn't that the point Jesus wants us to see God as real as a real connection he wants us to see God as we see a, a good father 
He wants us to have an experience of the Father like my, cat, my kids had an experience with me when I tucked them in bed at night. When we would sit and talk about the day, when we would maybe even sing a song, Morgan had stuffed animals that she would put up around her face, like literally all around her face, and then she would go, hmm, hmm, like this. She would snuggle with these things, and then she would take her nose and rub your, the side of your cheek. It was, it was precious. Now, it would be awkward now, and it probably sounds awkward to you, but it was beautiful because it was a daughter just simply enjoying the presence of her parents. She didn't have to say anything. Or it's like the moments that I spent in the front yard with Bennett throwing the ball and talking about his day and, and, and just back and forth. And, hey, let me, tell, let me show you how to do this a little bit different. Tuck that arm in or, or, or get your wrist higher if we're throwing a, a, a football. Or, or look, if you're, if you're uh, playing basketball, rotate your hand in and let's create the why here and follow through. And all of those things, it might be instructional, but it was just time together and we bonded and we had a connection. And I knew that he just needed to be with me and I needed to be with him. That's what prayer ought to look like. Authentic, genuine conversation, not just meaningless babble. If you come to God and you bring the whole, Lord, you are great and mighty and we worship you for you are the Holy One of Israel. We lift you high. He doesn't want that. Because I guarantee you, if you're watching this, that's not you. He wants you to be real. And so before he even taught the content of prayer, Jesus was teaching the character of prayer. Before he even launched into these are the kind of things that you pray for, he talked about the attitude of prayer, the reason for prayer. It's to be in relationship with God, to be authentic and real and in his presence and open and bare before him. It's not about the show. It's not about reading off a list of things you want. It's not about saying, Lord, give me, give me, give me. It's about being in his presence. And saying, God, here I am. I'm not saying don't ask, and we will get to that. There is a whole section of Scripture where it talks about asking God for things in prayer. He's not saying don't ask, but what he's saying is before you ask, make sure that your attitude, your heart is right. That it's real, bare, and authentic. And that it's relational. Because you're talking to your Father not to some stern, mean God who's looking down at you trying to, to gain your acceptance and you're trying to gain his. I love what Pete Gregg says about this. And if you're reading along, you read this this week in chapter 4 of How to Pray. Listen to this. He says, Jesus, in his parable of the prodigal son, taught that the God up to whom we pray is extravagantly kind. A father who comes running with his arms flung wide whenever we approach him, wherever we've been, and whatever we've done. He assures us that God, Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, the creator of the cosmos, the sustainer of the universe, is on our side. The deeper we receive our identity as dearly loved 
children in relationship with the Father, the greater our desire to spend time with our Father in prayer. When we understand who He is, and we understand His greatness, and we understand His love, we want to spend time with Him. We will start to tell Him everything and dare to ask Him anything. Because we know that, as Jesus puts it elsewhere, your Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to those who ask Him. What a beautiful picture of God. What a wonderful idea of prayer. And that's what I long for you. That's what I long for me. Like I said, I've been waxing nostalgic over the kids. Thinking about those times and quickly my mind goes to bad time and it goes to all the disasters, the meltdowns, the, the serial aisle disasters. But let me tell you what I appreciate now. When both kids are home, it's a common routine for us to take our little fire pit on the back deck to light it and to sit around the fire pit and to just be with each other and talk. And we talk about all sorts of stuff. We talk about relationships. We talk about next phases. We talk about classes. We talk about things they love, things they like, things they're looking forward to. We talk about their needs. And when we come away from those conversations as a parent, I'm not worn out thinking, oh my gosh, they're just constant. These kids, they just constantly want. When I come away, I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids are wonderful and beautiful and amazing. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help them become the people God wants them to be. That's a closer depiction of prayer. We have conversations and we learn of their needs, but not because they come with the list, not because they come to that fire pit and say, okay, uh, I've got five minutes and I'm going to read off all these things that I need from you guys over the next month. All right, I need, to, I need to put in my money for my graduation gown and my cap. I need to uh, look for, um, I need you to help me look for a, a new living place in Atlanta when I move. And I need you... I, we need to come up with a move-out date. We need this and this. He doesn't, Bennett didn't do that. The last time he was home, we just sat down and talked. And it was beautiful. And those of you who have adult children know what I'm talking about. It looks like that. My desire for you is that that becomes your prayer. I hope this message was meaningful and powerful to you, but I also hope that it was challenging. And as always, don't just hear it, put it into action. Until next week, have a great one.